From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While the week of Thanksgiving traditionally includes a large serving of the Sunshine Showdown, in this year of unexpected changes, Florida will instead battle Kentucky, while fans across the country look to find safe ways to celebrate the holidays with their families. On today's show, we'll be joined by FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter to assess Florida's performance against Vanderbilt, the impact it had on the Heisman conversation, what to expect against Kentucky, and the best game shows in the PAT. Then, wide receiver Justin Shorter stops by for a fun conversation about his northern roots, what brought him to Gainesville, his praise for Kyle Trask, and much more. But first, despite their winless record, Vanderbilt certainly presented some challenges for the Gators up in Nashville. And while Florida comfortably prevailed 38-17, Scott Carter notes the game was memorable mostly for its strangeness. Yeah, I mean, Dan Mullen afterward, uh, Adam, he called it ho-home performance. And it it was to a degree, it it was just weird experience uh, from my view. I mean, uh, you got there to the stadium an hour before the game, and I'm talking, man, there's nobody there. I mean, (laughs) the the two teams are are there. They had a few stadium workers, and uh, the Gators had about 125 parents who had uh, requested tickets and Vanderbilt had a few people on their side. I mean, they announced, I think 1100 people, but I could promise you there was probably at the most three or 400 in, in the stands at one time. So it was just one of those, uh, unique 2020 college football games that, you know, as as weird as some of the things that I've seen so far, particularly the Florida Georgia game and how different that was compared to normal, obviously, home games at the Swamp, you know, only 15,000 or so people. Uh, This may have been the weirdest because there was just a few hundred. I mean, these players and coaches, they'd never experienced anything like that. That's less people that most of them played in high school in front of. So, uh, and you add that to the fact the Gators did get dressed uh, at the hotel. They come over to the stadium and put their pads and cleats on, but they were trying to limit how many guys at one time would be in the locker room. Mm-hmm. So the locker room was really just guys outside on the turf uh, behind one of the end zones there where the Florida locker room was just hanging out. They would take turns to go into the locker room. That was obviously as a, a COVID-19 protocol. And, the, you know, after the game and at halftime, that's where they did their discussions. You know, Mullen had his post-game speech right there on the field after the game. At halftime, they just hung out there and, <laughs> it was like I said. It was it was kind of surreal in a lot of ways, but uh, the game itself, Vanderbilt came out and scores on that first drive, and you're, it looked like the Gators had just woken up, you know, for an eleven o'clock game, and they they responded on their first drive, and then Vanderbilt takes a field goal, and then finally Florida started to assert itself and show its the gap in talent between the two teams, and it's you know people are like. Well, it wasn't their greatest performance, but yeah, they had they end up with 586 yards of offense. Kyle Trask goes what 25 of 36, I think 383 yards, three touchdowns. Hey, they won 38-17. So I don't think anybody on the Florida sidelines is going to apologize for maybe not getting as many style points as some fans may have wanted. Uh, they went up there and accomplished what they they had to do. They got a win, still control their you know their destiny. Adam in the mm-hmm. SEC East, all they got to do is win out, and they're in Atlanta, most likely against Alabama with the birth in the college football playoff on the line. So that is really the focus right now. And uh, the Vanderbilt game was just another uh, another unique chapter in that story up to this point. Well, it's funny talking about the, the expectations game because I think a lot of people looked at it and said, oh, man, this was – you know, Trask could have had five or six touchdowns here. This is going to hurt him in the Heisman race. I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have in some ways, but it's also, it does have a 2009 feel to it where you want high expectations and that's good, but you don't want them to become 
so high and kind of out of line with reality that it becomes corrosive in a way and, and can, can hurt you when all of a sudden winning is no longer good enough. And even winning by a lot is not as many as it needs to be. That sort of, that sort of conversation. Yeah, there's nothing like that I sense around the team. I think right now it's just mostly the a small group on the on social media who kind of nitpick every little piece of the game. Uh, could the defense play better at Vanderbilt? Sure. They, they, they gave up some big plays. A couple of them were on bad defense. A couple of them were really nice plays by Vanderbilt. Uh, I, if anyone really wants to dive deeper into Vanderbilt, their offense uh, was averaging about 225 yards more a game in the last three games than the first three games. Hmm. Uh, their freshman quarterback, Ken Sills, he's only the third true freshman quarterback in SEC history to start his team's season opener. So <laughs> Vanderbilt, they had some pieces working on offense. Again, that that's just pointing out some facts. From the Florida side, you know, they gave up too many big plays. Check. I thought that, you know, the tempo of Vanderbilt clearly – gave Florida some problems early if you watched the subbing in and out. Uh, I thought they got some of that under control later in the game. You know, some of that's uh, – you got to give Vanderbilt credit. Some of it – Florida, it's been an ongoing story really, Adam, the whole mm -hmm. season. Uh, you know, the first couple of games were kind of weak defense and they tightened it up and things got better. The last couple of games they've showed some signs of holes in the secondary or whatever. Uh, I don't know if this is a defense with the offense's – going these days is it going to pitch a shutout highly unlikely is it going to play the perfect game no uh but can they do enough do they have enough talent to help this offense win consistently i i definitely believe so and i think this florida team if they accomplish big things later on the year it's going to be because they're outscoring people not because they're they're shutting down people. I just don't see that being this kind of team. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but you know, if you look at some of the hit, the championship teams and games of the past few years, they're not exactly uh, three nothing games. Right. Well, and I know that you know Dan Moen talked about evaluating some things defensively this week, especially personnel wise. Um, what, what do we what do we know? What do we understand at this point about some of the things that are happening internally to try and address the, these issues that we're talking about? Well, the, the words you always hear about is execution. I mean, it's no different this round than it was the first round. I, I think, you know, when you look at it, like I said, I think, I think Vandy's tempo threw them off and they, they didn't have maybe some of the people on the field they would have liked to have in certain situations. I think both uh, Mullen spoke about the effort was there. Uh, you know, Grantham's talked recently about the physicality and the aggressiveness has they've turned that up a notch from early in the season when they were struggling. So I, I think it's execution. I think it's um, getting, you know, they were without Jeremiah Moon and James Houston, the, a couple of their veteran linebackers. Uh, they were playing younger guys. I, I, Mullen spoke about wanting to rotate more guys in uh, younger guys so they get some experience so when you do lose people maybe you have some other guys who have some snaps under their belt uh, throughout the season so uh, I think you'll just see that continue I think you'll see more guys uh, rotating through on defense and ultimately oh, it all comes back to this is a high risk high reward defense mm -hmm. uh, it has been since day one since Dan Mullen and Ty Grantham got here, it's going to continue to be that way. You are going to see game-changing plays. Uh, like, you know, remember uh, Donovan Steiner's sack at Mississippi State? Yeah. That was one they loved. But you're also going to see you're going to give up some big plays. So ultimately, what that says to the players, we're playing this style because we think you guys are good enough on the back end to make those huge plays that prevent, the, you know, the explosive plays. And unfortunately, the, the Gators haven't done that consistently enough. So I think a lot of it falls back on the players uh, not making some plays when they're there. And that's just the nature of the beast, man. That's, that's how it works with a, an aggressive defense like this. There's no question. And you talk about the importance of getting some pieces back as well defensively. Uh, offensively, a big piece is expected back this week. I know a lot of Gator fans will be thankful on this Thanksgiving for Kyle Pitts, who missed the last two games. Um, not just because of the, the major hit they took in the concussion, but also because of the, the impact that had to have some surgery on his nose as well. I mean, that was a very, very ugly hit. And uh, obviously, 
The Gators are happy to have him back. Fans are happy to have him back. And probably most of all, Kyle Trask is going to be really happy as well that he's got that big target that not only can make every play, but also takes the attention away from some of their other wideouts. Yeah, Adam, uh, you know, that's one of those plays that you get a headache from just watching the replay. I mean, yeah. uh, that, that was a, a violent collision that Kyle Pitts and Lewis Sinai Georgia had. Thankfully, uh, Kyle Pitts, you know, after undergoing a concussion protocol and some minor nose surgery, uh, he wanted to play last week at Vanderbilt, but uh, he was not cleared to play yet. So he's expected to be back on Saturday. And, uh you know, I did a little uh, blog earlier this week on just, you know, it's funny because you, you do see that when Kyle Pitts is not there, they're, they're missing something because he is such a dynamic playmaker and such a game-changing talent. It's impossible not to notice when he's not on the field. But yet, in his place, Kamori Gamble and uh, Keon Zipper they combined for four touchdown catches in those two games. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's how about that? I mean, that's yeah. what you call, you know, each of those guys had two touchdown catches while Pitts was out the last two games. Uh, so they did it in different ways, and maybe not with the the flair that Kyle Pitts can do. Uh, but Kyle Trask, his style is to look around the field, take what the de- defense gives him. And that's what he's been doing without Kyle Pitts. And, of course, they had a lot of guys step up at him. Uh, you know, Trayvon Grimes had a great catch at Vanderbilt. You know, Jacob Copeland, Kadarius Toney. I know I'm missing some of the running backs. Malik Justin Davis. Shorter. Our guest this week, Justin Shorter. Yeah, Justin Shorter. How about him? I mean, three touchdown catches in three straight games until this past Saturday. So they have a lot of talent there. Uh, that's one of the strengths of this offense that even with a guy like Kyle Pitts, who I think is their most talented uh, playmaker, uh, they have enough weapons to overcome that kind of absence. And now you get him back and it only helps things. It only helps the offense and uh, it should help Kyle Trask continue to just do what Kyle Trask has been doing. 31 touchdowns in seven games, leading the nation, the most touchdown passes in SEC history in a single season against just conference opponents. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he's doing historic things that, you know, we haven't seen in a long time at Florida, Adam. Yeah, and speaking of Justin Shorter, again, he's our guest today. Uh, look for the Gator Tails bump, okay? The Gator Tails bump is a real thing. Two weeks ago, Trey Grimes is on. He has two touchdown catches. <laughs> Last week, Kyrie Elam joins us. He has a big interception. So, look for the look for the bump. The bump is there. That's right. Least I'm gonna I'm gonna keep thinking it is until it's proven wrong. But for the moment, we're on we're on a good run right now. Yeah, you're gonna have guys start calling you wanting That's to be right. on the show. That's right, exactly. Because they're gonna have a, <laughs> gonna have a line out the door. Of guys wanting to come on Gator Tales. Uh, <laughs> um, in, in terms of, of this week, you know, it's interesting because it's it's Thanksgiving week, and we're used to football on Thanksgiving, but we're used to Florida Florida State on Thanksgiving. Not only yeah. is that not happening this weekend, that's not happening this year, and instead it's Florida Kentucky, which. Again, it's just, as we talked about earlier, it's just part of this weird year for Florida. But uh, it's a Kentucky team, Scott, that I think for a lot of fans, you still hear Kentucky and just reflexively you think, oh, a cakewalk, right? Well, lest we forget that two years ago, Kentucky beat Florida in the swamp. And that was the second game of Dan Mullen's tenure and ended the uh, roughly the 30 plus year winning streak, 31 year winning streak. And then last year, Kentucky was well on their way to beating Florida and Lexington until Felipe Franks got hurt. Kyle Trask came in and then the rest is history. But this is a Kentucky team that has has given Florida a lot of problems the last few years, especially defensively. And uh, we, you know, probably should expect a a similar type of effort from Mark Stoops' team this year. Well, they lead the SEC in pass defense, and they're six overall, giving up about 381 yards a game uh, in pass defense, only about 222 yards a game. And people are going to say, yeah, but these guys just lost 63-3 to to Alabama. <laughs> right. Who are you kidding? But in reality, they were impacted by COVID. Uh, they were missing five regular starters uh, for undisclosed reasons, but just from reading between the lines from uh, the Kentucky media. They were COVID-related issues, and they were missing another five or six guys on their depth chart uh, from those uh, issues. So they were without a lot of the pieces at Alabama, and that was actually a pretty close game into the second quarter. And then, you know, Alabama took control, and, and Kentucky, uh, they just got beat down without without a lot of their regulars. Uh, so that score is a little bit misleading when you look at this team, even though they're coming in at 3-5. and five, 
uh, a down year for Mark Stoops compared to what he's done there in his tenure in Lexington. Uh, he's certainly changed the culture of that program. Uh, you're right. They've, they've played the Gators really tough the last few years, uh, including the you know, 2018, the game that you mentioned here, Dan Mullen's uh, first loss as a, as Gators head coach and still one of only six losses in his career here. He's 27, mm-hmm. six. So, that was a big win for the Wildcats, and last year it certainly looked like they were on their way to another one. And you mentioned the uh, Felipe Franks get hurt. Uh, Kyle Trask comes in, and now the Kyle Trask story is takes on a whole new meaning uh, in the, a year since he came in and rescued the Gators in that one. Now he's uh, everybody knows who Kyle Trask is. Certainly Kentucky does, and uh, I expect you know Kentucky to to play better and than they did at Alabama. They're going to have some other pieces back. And it's a program that, uh, you know, I give Mark Stoops a lot of credit. I think uh, he's done one of the best turnaround jobs, really, uh, in the SEC in recent years. And I think you can make the case where they've been more competitive than Tennessee the last few years. Mm. I mean, that's just where he's got the program. And as long as he's there, I think they're going to have a really good program. And uh, believe me, Florida knows all about him. they'll, They'll respect him very much coming into the swamp. In terms of what to look for for from Kyle Trask, yeah, it, it's funny the way, and I, I get it, right? Because we're, we're fans as well, so we look at things a certain way. And there are a lot of people who were frustrated last weekend saying, hey, why'd you take Trask out? You cost him a touchdown. He could have had four touchdowns. He needs these, you know, pad these stats. And, uh, and I even saw someone online say, you know, Mullen, Mullen's not making the right calls here for Trask to win the Heisman. I mean, I, I get it, but there's not a, a coach in America who's coaching a game trying to engineer it so that a player wins a certain subjective award. I mean, coaches are out there trying to win games. They're trying to prepare themselves. So to think that that's even part of Dan Mullen's thought process, I, I mean, I think is pretty crazy to even think that that's going on in his head. Um, and, and I would imagine that's also the reality of the situation as far as the way the game plays out and the situations dictate what you're going to do, not trying to win a Heisman. Yeah, I think that's a kind of a naive outlook. I mean, it is a subjective award. Uh, it's not like the time when the Gators, remember the, the famous flop they did where John Reeves set the NCAA record yeah. for passing. Yards. He knew he needed a few yards. They wanted to get the ball back for him. This is totally different. I mean, Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen, they can't, they can't win him the Heisman Trophy, and they're not thinking about that. Both of them addressed your exact point this week. I mean, Dan Mullen was asked specifically, did he think about that when he had Emory Jones in the game throwing mm-hmm. that touchdown pass to Kamari Gamble? He says, of course not. I'm thinking about how to win and get our team better. And if you notice Kyle Trask, he certainly wasn't thinking about it. He was a, one of Emory Jones' biggest cheerleaders on the sideline when that play happened. Uh, so that's just – it's an interesting little podcast topic or talk <laughs> radio subject or, or tweet topic, but – Believe me, the the people inside the program, the coaches and players, that's far from their edge. Uh, and Kyle Trask, I mean, here's a guy who, whatever he does, you know, a year ago he was going into this Kentucky game as the backup, and now he's a Heisman Trophy contender. And, you know, earlier this week he went on the Dan Patrick show. I mean, how often, you you know, a year ago you can't really imagine, you know, Kyle Trask going on the Dan Patrick show. Right. Dan Patrick's asked him if he's ever done his Heisman pose, and he said no. As Patrick said, I think you're lying. And you know, so you you were still learning more about Kyle Trask. Yeah, he's one of those guys that has uh, has grown up uh, a lot in the last year, on and off the field. Uh, but what he's doing on the field, I think, uh, has impressed anybody who likes a good story, likes a good quarterback. And hey, you don't even have to be a. If I wasn't, if I didn't have this job, Adam. I'd still be rooting for Kyle Trask, kind of like I was rooting for Joe Burrow last year because exactly. you know, his story was remarkable in many ways too. And, I mean, I didn't have any ties to LSU, but I was kind of rooting for Joe Burrow. I love those kind of stories. That's what Kyle Trask has going right now. Yeah. I Actually, I thought the same thing about Burrow, and I even – yeah, you know, I was really disappointed this past weekend when I saw that he got hurt. I mean, it's yeah. I, I should say that I also I mean I had a chance to meet Burrow last year at the the ESPN Award Show, and he was really really nice, very gracious and humble. That's cool. So that's part of what makes you want to root for somebody. But yeah, it feels like a similar story. A guy who you know was trying to get his due, and then when his opportunity came, just took it to the next level. And while doing that, 
said all the right things, did all the right things, and, and you felt it was genuine too. It's one mm-hmm. thing when you can tell people are being coached or you know steered a certain way, a certain direction, especially with Trask, you just you can feel that's organic. That is who he is. He's not when he tells Dan Patrick he hasn't done the Heisman pose. I 100% agree with that. And I don't know that if he won the Heisman, he would do the Heisman pose because that's just not the kind, it's just not the kind of guy he is. It, you know, it's not, not well, everybody is that showy and you don't have to be that showy to be a great player and, and to win awards like the Heisman. No, I did a fun story last week when I, I talked to a couple of the quarterbacks he played with at Manville High who were not named Derek King. <laughs> and these were just two guys who were backup quarterbacks there. They were, kind of describing Kyle back then and you you could he, they could have been talking about him today mm-hmm. just this quiet guy went out and took care of his business knew he had a lot of talent but never expected to see what he's doing now and one of the guys was Stefan Kahn was funny because he's out of football now he's a sales manager for a chemical company in downtown Houston now mm-hmm. he was like I will never stop telling people that in high school I started in front of the guy who's the front runner for the Heisman right now. (laughs) He's proud of that story. So it just kind of sums up uh, Kyle Trask's story. Claim to fame. Everyone's got to have their claim to fame, right? That's right, man. It's like you you knowing Chris Harry personally. That's right. Exactly. You and Gators Chris are tight. (laughs) Um, And speaking of, of Gators Chris... Unfortunately, he couldn't join us this week due to some family obligations, um, and he's, he's not doing what we thought he was going to be doing, which is traveling with Gator basketball. Uh, as, as most people listening probably know, uh, they also had a, a COVID situation where they've had to shut things down. Both of the games they were playing in this bubbleville have been canceled, and it, it seems like that was one of the first dominoes that fell this week when it relates to college basketball, and even in the last couple of days it's become almost an avalanche. You're seeing games being canceled left and right. And there, there's a you know, myriad reasons why, Scott. And some of it goes down to the fact that basketball, by its very nature, is an indoor sport. And you're going to have more spread indoor. There are fewer players that can comprise the team. There's a lot of factors that are going to make this not just a difficult week for college basketball. It's probably going to be a, a very challenging season for everybody. Yeah, the speculation was what has happened this week uh, was very possible. And, of course, it didn't take long at all for it to come to fruition. Here you mentioned the Gators pause in activity. Ole Miss did the same. Tennessee did the same. And as we're talking here, there may have been another school or two have done the same in the SEC. Uh, so a lot of games have been canceled. A lot will be shuffled around. Uh, you know, you're going to see opponents kind of pop up out of thin air sometimes, too. Because you can, you know, you can travel basketball team a lot easier than you can a football team. So mm-hmm. you can you can rearrange games perhaps on the schedule quicker. But I do think that it is going to be a very fluid season, and they you really want to see college basketball get back on track some at least in twenty twenty one. Because when you go with you know it would just miss a March Madness last season. That was a hit, man. For uh, yeah. For the sports world, for me personally, that's one of my two or three favorite sporting events. And not to have that, you missed it. And uh, I really hope that they can play enough games to uh, to get to a tournament later, hopefully next spring. But it is going to be very, very choppy, I think, at first. And you're going to see more of what we've seen this week with the Gators. And uh, let's just hope that they can they can work it out. Yeah, and of course, we'll we'll keep talking about it as these develop. Uh, we'll talk next week. Hopefully, they'll be in a better place. But again, like everything else, it's uh, it's wait and see. It's day by day. Never has the cliche been more true than it is here in 2020 and soon to be into 2021 as well. Um, as we move forward with our PAT today, I wanted to discuss something that was, it was big news about a week and a half ago. Uh, we didn't have a chance to address it, and that is, of course, Alex Trebek passing away uh, and one of the, the greats all time uh, when it comes to game show hosting, who just seemed, again, like someone you wanted to just spend some time with, just such a, a comforting presence that came into your home every night, or at least if you're, you're like me and my fiance every night because we watch Wheel of Fortune Jeopardy, despite being only 32 years old, you can pass judgment <laughs> on that however you like. Uh, <laughs> well, I will. Of course, immediately following the nightly news. Um, yes. But but that uh, notwithstanding, uh, it made me think about, you know, favorite game shows, favorite game show hosts. 
you know, I, I love Jeopardy. I've always loved Jeopardy. I'm a trivia, I'm a trivia guy. So if you're, if you're into trivia, uh, that's where you get the most bang for your buck, right? I mean, who wants to be a millionaire is an hour with 15 questions spread out over 60 minutes. Jeopardy, you're getting a lot of knowledge very quickly on Jeopardy. But it made me think about, you know, favorite game shows. And I was curious what, what came to the forefront for you. And maybe, maybe it's one of the older shows that is, that is no longer with us or a host who's no longer around anymore. Well, I'll start with, you know, since you mentioned Alex Trebek, I mean, I'm like you, I, I really enjoyed that show. And I, I got, I was reading some stories on him after he passed and you're thinking, I, I remember that show when I was in like middle school, when it first came on and yeah. here I am all these years later, it was, I was still watching it with my kids. So right. it's been such a big part. It is one of my favorites. I mean, I grew up, you know, I remember the prices, right. With Bob Barker. I remember watching that with my grandmother in the summer when I would go down and hang with her. But, uh, you know, Wheel of Fortune, you mentioned those are all my, some of the ones I like too, but probably my favorite, the newlywed game was one of my favorite, certainly when I was younger with Chuck Woolery. And, uh, you know, it was funny to see the two, the couples there matched up and they're getting quizzed about each other on, you know, personal stuff their partner should have known. And <laughs> saw some mad wives on that yeah. show. And, uh, you know, it was one of those just kind of made me laugh even as a kid. I don't know why it resonated with me, but after all these years, I still remember watching that, probably watching it with my dad or my mom and laughing a little bit. But the, one, the, the two or three that stick out the most by far are Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, and The Price is Right. When I think of game shows, those are like the big three. Yeah. And then all the others kind of on a second level. Um, what about you? Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I think those are those are the three. That's the Mount Rushmore of game shows. Jeopardy, Price is Right, Wheel of Fortune. But you got to have one more ahead, though, right? I, who wants to be a millionaire? I really like that one. Yeah. That was that was a later generation show. It's very iconic, for sure. Yeah, I will say about the, the new game, I don't know the last time you went on a cruise ship. Uh, and I don't know when any of us are going to be able to go on cruise ships again. Uh, but that's the thing they do on a lot of these cruises is they do a little newlywed game and they get people, uh, just, you know, random people on the ship to come up there. And it gets very embarrassing and it is so funny. So oh, yeah. that's like the, hi the highlight of cruise entertainment is the newlywed game. Because then what happens is you have this really awkward encounter with a couple and multiple awkward encounters with these couples. And then you'll be at the buffet the next day and you're staying next to them at the drink fountain. And you're like, oh man, you're the one who didn't know the first place you met your wife. <laughs> they become cruise celebrities. I thought you were going to say that the next day at the buffet, you notice they're with a different partner now. No, no, though. <laughs> I, in some cases, it might result in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not going to be the same with that Alex Trebek. He yeah. was... As far as long run, longest running, but I guess it's between him and Bob Barker and Pat Sajak, probably mm -hmm. one of those three. But he was the one that I would probably like to hang out with the most because I just thought he was most interesting. Yeah, I'd probably learn the most from being with him for sure. Well, no doubt, learn the most. And, yeah. You know, some nights I do pretty good on Jeopardy, and then some nights, man, I'm like my yeah. my six year old can beat me. It's just all about it's all about the categories. It's, it's luck of, yep. luck of the draw. Which categories do you get? Is if it's the pop culture ones, I'm on it. If it's the science categories, it's not going to be my best night. So it's all, it's all about the draw. You, you play the game that's in front of you. Good cliche to bring us back around to Florida, Kentucky this week. Yeah, obviously it's Thanksgiving, but tell us quickly, uh, what do you have going on on the site? What content can people look for to get ready for the game? Well, we'll have our, you know, our regular uh, stuff, you know, opening kickoff. I got a story up on Pitts being back. I'm going to write something about Emory Jones. Just his thoughts on watching Kyle Traska kind of ascend to where he is and what and his handling of being a backup like Kyle Trask did for so long. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I'll have something later this week on Kyle Trask, uh, hoping to be able to track down the man most responsible for Kyle Trask being at Florida. Doug Nussmeyer. And that is Doug Nussmeyer now with the Dallas Cowboys. So yeah. I trade text with him, hoping they play on Thanksgiving, so his schedule's a little off this week. But hoping this touch base with him. If I don't this week, certainly next week. I just want to, you know, talk to Nussmeier and get kind of him to reminisce and really also to see what he thinks. You know, three years later, four years later, like what Kyle's done. Yeah, very true. Forward to hearing uh, hearing his thoughts on that, and uh, we look forward to all that content you have going on as well. And if people don't see that on FloridaGators.com, they can find it on Twitter at Gators Scott uh, to track down all of your musings and your coverage of the Gators this week. So. Scott, thank you as always. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next week.
All right, Adam, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. After a long stretch without big-time wide receivers, the Gators have had an embarrassment of riches since Dan Moen arrived, largely thanks to the transfer portal, which brought the likes of Van Jefferson and Trey Grimes to Gainesville. This offseason, former Penn Stater Justin Shorter was added to that list, and he's made his presence known quickly in 2020, with highlight reel touchdowns helping him stand out to Gator Nation. We caught up with Justin earlier this week to talk about his journey to Gainesville, but began by discussing the unique circumstances surrounding Florida's trip to Nashville. It was very, very different. And I remember um, Mullen, Mullen said something to the team like, hey, like their locker room super small. And like I've been to other locker rooms, like I've seen Iowa's locker room. They have a pink locker room. It was the strangest <laughs> thing. They, they got pink stalls, pink everything. But we we went in that locker room. When I tell you, it was literally like like inches in between each each locker. So it was so small. So it was just different. Like even halftime, like we just stayed like literally outside. So just like that was just very like kind of like weird, weird for like, I feel like for everyone to try to get used to. But at the same time, like we kind of started off slow, but we started to pick it up as the game went on, which is also a positive. Yeah, it's funny to not going to the locker room at halftime and just seeing that on TV. It had like a, <laughs> a like a, a, a peewee vibe to it, right? Like we're going to hang yeah, out in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Was, was, <laughs> how, how weird was that? I mean, having just among other things, having that be like, this is an SEC game and we're just we're doing this like like peewee football no i mean like the good thing was it was like it, it was like nice outside so <laughs> so so at least we were outside but i mean like obviously um the situation wasn't the best but we made the best of it and, and the coaches did a great job on um, organizing and making sure that everyone was still on their on their on their top game for that game you know in terms of, of a game like that where you know, you're playing in virtually an empty stadium i mean that was even in a weird year that was really different how did you guys go about creating your own energy uh despite the, the circumstances I feel like having the empty stadiums is definitely a lot different. And obviously, like, we're not used to that at all. But I feel like it, it just forces us to bring our own energy. Like, we have the coaches, like, all, all the players, even, like, pregame. Like, it's like we all get, like, even, like, in that circle, we're all jumping, getting, like, riled up, just getting our, like, energy up and just get, getting ready for that game. But also, I, I feel like a big thing um, that is quiet, because I feel like during those normal games, like, I kind of, like, zone out, like, all, like, the, like, fans and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's, like, honestly, like, the same thing. Like, I honestly, like, don't even, like, realize that, that there's no fans there because I'm so locked in the focus, and I'm sure, like, a lot of other players feel the same way. Everyone has said the same thing, which every time I hear it, it's crazy, but everyone pretty much yeah. to a man says that exact same thing. Um, if we can take things back a little bit, I want to go back to the, the start of your story here. Can you tell us a little bit about your family, where you grew up, and, and your early, early years? Uh, okay. Um, well, I'm from I'm from Jersey, born and raised, lived in the same house my entire life. I started playing baseball literally my entire life. My entire life, I wanted to grow up and be an MLB baseball player, home run derby in the backyard. We had we had these like huge trees in like my complex, and we'd be hitting hitting the, hitting the tennis balls over the trees and mm. tossing the bat. But I, I played travel baseball, literally baseball, twenty four seven. If if I could, we'd be working hard in baseball. And then my eighth grade year, I decided to play football. So and like literally, but it was it was crazy because like growing up, like I would always watch football and I I always wanted to play, but my my mom was so scared to let me play because she didn't want me to get hurt. So my eighth grade year, she finally lets me play. And my third game, um, I'm running the ball and I I remember my um, my friend uh, Jalen, he didn't block for me, and then the kid came hit like hit my ankle and then and like my ankle was all twisted and it, it basically broke right. So after that, she was like, you know, you're done, no more football, nothing <laughs> like that. So literally after I finally healed up, I was literally on my hands and knees begging her to let me play again my freshman year. And then they, she finally let me play. And then it just started to work out where I started to work harder and get more confident in it and stuff. But really growing up, I was, it was it was baseball was my was my first sport of choice. And still to this day, I can hit the ball over the fence, all that stuff. Over the summer, like, or over quarantine, like, just for fun, like, we would work out and then and then go to the big field and, like, hit some balls. And then we'd, we'd be having, like, home run derby and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I still have fun with it. But baseball was that was that first sport for me yeah so so what was it that made it take over like once you played what was it about playing football that made you think wait like I'm doing this now and I don't I don't need to play in the all-star game I just fell like in love with the game like I, I like I feel like me being able just to like go out there and like someone fall on the ground or like catch the ball and like run someone over is like the craziest thing in my head that I could just legally like put my hands on someone <laughs> and like be able to do that and just and just go hard and just take out all, all this energy that I always have because I always have a bunch of bunch of energy in me. Were you always a receiver or did you play like how did when you were introduced to the game how did you end up at receiver? Receiver I was I was always a receiver actually no I played um I think I played running back for maybe like one practice and then they're like no you're way too tall <laughs> and then and they put me outside and start and, and like literally 
eighth grade, like the first two games, like I probably had like six or seven jump balls where they would drop back and throw it up and I just go up and catch it. So that was, so that kind of became my little like trademark kind of. Did people give you a hard time because your name is shorter, but you were winning lots of jump ball? Like, I'm sure you've gotten those a lot, especially when you were a kid. I mean, no, I, ever since kindergarten, I've, I've always been the tallest one in my class. So everyone always makes jokes about my last name and stuff like that. So now I'm like used to that. I've been getting jokes about that. And I still get them to this day. I, I think <laughs> um, during like practice, someone like called me like taller instead of shorter. <laughs> so. um, who are the biggest influences on you in your, in your game? Like who was, who was physically helping you develop into the player that, that you ultimately became? Um, I'd say like both my parents and I, was, I, I feel like I give a bunch of credit to my brother because just like in those moments like he would be training for baseball but he would always take time out and like help me with football and be like the one that was guarding me and stuff like that so I was really doing like a lot of like full speed work versus him and my dad he was like pushing me every single day we'd probably work out three four times a day if we had nothing to do and we'd be really in there just working my craft and I feel like um, do I doing that at such a young age, like when I was starting football, it helped me out now because I still do the same thing. Like today after practice, I stayed after probably like 45 minutes just working on small stuff. And it's just it's just those small things that really just give me the confidence while I'm in games for me to be able to go out there and do everything that I'm supposed to do to help, like help the team win, basically. You know, it's funny because you talked about your dad. And I think for a lot of guys we talked to, that's obviously part of the story is my dad helped me do this, do that. But your story also, what I read is that your mom was a, a really big factor, not just in encouraging you, but actually like getting out on the field and working with you. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, literally ever since I, I, I started football, she was she would always be like be out there with us whenever we were training or whatever. And she'd be like holding like bags or whatever. And like, or like, like I'll, I'll be catching the ball, running, catching the ball. And she'd be like, she like hitting me with like the like these like huge pads and stuff like that. <laughs> She's always been like helping me like even with baseball. She'd be throwing this like pitching like from the mound whenever my like dad couldn't or like whenever he had work or something like that. And even to this day, she always throws at me like tennis ball drills, all this stuff. And like she like knows like the daily routine that we do. So like she'll come and we'll take twenty minutes and then we'll be in and out and then we'll get it done and then I'll just go to practice. But she is a, a huge help and she just loves me so much. So and look, I already know that because if if like it was just like a normal day, she wouldn't be throwing footballs at anyone. <laughs> yeah. Um as you were really coming along and you got to a point where you're getting recruited by, you know, big time schools who do you remember reaching out to you first? Like, what do you remember about the recruiting process and how you got involved in it? I remember my first offer was, uh, I think maybe like my mid-sophomore year, um, Old Dominion came into the office. And then um, like my coach called me out of class and was like, hey, um, Old Dominion offered you a scholarship. And I was so shocked. I was like, I was like, really? I was like, Old Dominion? Because <laughs> honestly, like, I didn't even think that I'm like, I feel like I'm my worst critic. So I didn't even think that I was that good for them to get, for me to get an offer. So I got Old Dominion then. The next day I got Rutgers and the next day I got like Syracuse and then they all just started flooding in. But um, it just felt really good to just be seen as like a like very, very good player. And that just really encouraged me just to continue working hard. And I was just realizing that all the work that I've been putting in has been starting to pay off and that I should just continue to do it. What ultimately pushed you to be a, a Nittany Lion out of high school? Um, it was a great school. Again, um, Josh Gaddis, we had a pretty good relationship with him. He was a wide, he was a wide house coach there. Josh Gaddis and... Um, it was four hours away. I loved the campus, loved, loved the coaches, all that. But it was just, it was just unfortunate how um, I signed. And then, like, there was coaching changes and stuff that went mm-hmm. on. So it was just unfortunate. And we had different coaches. But, I mean, I was, I was very happy with my time there again. I'm just thankful for Coach Frank and even, like, just teaching me a lot of stuff because I feel like he's, like, a very, like, family guy. And he taught me how to grow up and just deal with issues, like, deal with situations that I was being in and just really just be, like, grown up. So I really appreciate them. But um, it just worked out where God has me in Florida now and, um, I love this offense. Coach Mullen's great. Coach Gonzalez, is, he probably teaches me like three new things every single day that I could learn just to get better at. So I just, I just, I just love it down here. You know, it's funny. Usually, so someone transfers and you think, oh, well, you know, it makes sense they would go to whatever school. You're a, a Northeastern guy. You go to school at Penn State. When it comes mm-hmm. time for you to transfer, I don't think that, you know, Florida is not the thing that people would automatically jump to. So how did Florida get on your radar and how did you ultimately uh, end up in Gainesville? Um, after I entered the transit port of me and my family, we did a bunch of research and like, what was the best option for me to go to a school and be able to go in and really be able to develop. And I feel like the one thing was coaching and coach Mullen and coaching jobs. They've been together for like over maybe like 12 years. I don't know how many years, but they, they've been together for a while. So just seeing how like he was like, how they were together, like, like that, it gave me like confidence that I don't think that um, Coach G would be leaving or anything like that. And also, um, they also had like, I think three senior wide receivers that were going. 
the year afterwards. So it just seemed like the perfect opportunity. And we met with Coach G and Coach Mullen, and they just seemed like genuine people who really knew what they were talking about football-wise and also, like, just, like, being able to just, like, develop me as a um, human as well and just keep me, like, on, on task with school and stuff like that. So it was just really just, like, like a, like, goldmine just handed to us. And it was like, here, this is opportunity, and it's working out now, as you can see. Yeah, in terms of the, the continuity of coaches, and it's something that people talk about a lot, but I don't know if, if anyone really digs into why it's so important. But obviously yes, for you, it's it's been really important. Can you talk about – why those position coaches are so critical for your development and, and the kind of things that you do learn from Coach G on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, um, I would say I see because um, you have to think about it, it's like those coaches have been through programs and they've seen so many different wide receivers. And I, I'm sure he's seen people that are exactly like me and he just really knows how to like develop like those big time wide receivers. So me just knowing that he has that experience, it just gave me a lot of confidence like, hey, I can go in here and by the time I leave, I could be an NFL prototype wide receiver because Coach G is going to develop me into that. You know, Coach G, Coach Mullen, they're going to push me to my limits and not not take their foot off the off the gas pedal. You know, mm. so it just really gave me just some um, a lot of confidence to see like what he did with other wide receivers before in his past as well. In terms of of you coming to the program and and getting you know gelling with the guys. Was there one guy, was there maybe multiple individuals that, that helped bring you in and, and kind of take you under their wing once you got to the program? Ever since day one, um, I'd say Kyle, Trash, me and him, we got super close. We were throwing every day, hanging out every day, talking every day. So he really helped me with like that transition. And also I have a friend from New Jersey, Iverson um, Clement. Mm-hmm. And um, I've known him since high school, middle school for a long time. So me being able to come to Florida and like he's there and like I can just kind of like lean on him and just – he could like show me like the ropes and stuff like that. Just going through like day to day here, it just helped me out a lot. Well, I know part of your story too is uh, getting close to to Trey Grimes, and you had kind of a, yeah. a backstory with him that I was reading about. Can you talk about your history with Trey, or at least the part that you knew about? I don't, I don't know that he knew about it, but that you knew about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, I've been watching Trey ever since I honestly started playing football. Ever since like they put his under rare spotlight, under rare spotlight on YouTube, I saw he was like. Six four in high school, something like that, and like being like we were like the same size, and I was trying to look up to like a bunch of guys that were the same size. Like I looked up to him, um, DK Metcalf. I was following him, but it was like a, a, a bunch of wide receivers that were like my size and height. But Trey, like I saw him and I followed him. I just loved like just watching him play. I'd, I'd watch him on TV, some um, St. Thomas Aquinas when he played in high school, and um, I remember he committed to Ohio State and then he transferred to Florida as well so me also and like honestly like I I forgot that he transferred to Florida when I transferred and then I was like I was like, oh wait Trey's on the team I just thought it was crazy <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good play with him but every single day in practice that man he is he's different he, I don't know how he just he's, he's so good and it's just awesome to be able to just to play behind him because I'm just learning so much now and next year like you guys are going to see a lot of his play in my play because I'm, I'm just adding his moves to my toolbox. Other than, than him, are there other guys you look up to? I mean, you mentioned DK Metcalf, but are there other players kind of over the course of even, you know, your life, not just now that you've looked up to and said, I want to play like that guy or I want that part of his game to be what I do? Uh, definitely Cal- Calvin Johnson. I've studied Calvin Johnson in and out like like no one else. Um, I've, I've studied him, his, his work ethic, the small stuff that, that, that he does. Receivers like Terrell Owens, Randy Moss, just like watching those. Because I don't know why, like I was like watching like those like kind of like the older receivers more and like learning from them more. So just watching those guys and just seeing like what they do to get open, how they change their speed and stuff like that. I really look up to it. And just watching and like seeing someone like Julio Jones get in and out of, a, of an 18 yard comeback in literally two steps is the craziest thing to watch. And I practice that every single day. And I just work on stuff like that so I can be able to do that at the, at, at the next level too. You know, for, for a Northeastern guy, I'm curious what challenges have popped up being in Florida. I don't know if it's is the, the weather. Maybe it's like, you know, there's food you want to get that you can't get in Florida. What's been the biggest cultural shock for you of being down in, in Gainesville? Man, talking about food, pizza. I feel like <laughs> New Jersey has some of the best pizza and bagels in the world. And I came down here and I, I've yet to find one good pizza spot or a, a good, any good bagel spots. I've been told this before. It's about the water. That is, that is true. The water plays a huge part in it. <laughs> But no, it's just it's just super hot down here. Also, summertime was so hot, like literally like dripping sweat. It's just crazy. <laughs> but I love it down here because right now in New Jersey, it's probably snowing. It's cold here. I'm in a I'm in a t-shirt and shorts, <laughs> <laughs> walking around. So I'm definitely loving it. You're living the dream, right? Yeah, I'm living the dream, man. Living the dream. <laughs> a couple of fun questions for you. I've asked a lot of your teammates these over the course of the year. Uh, I'm curious about during the pandemic, some of the ways you got yourself through, what was your favorite 
TV show that you discovered during the pandemic? That is a great question. Uh, favorite TV show? Uh, I, I got through Empire. Mm. I got through Power. I got through... I, I, I think I watched all of, like, Netflix. I'm, like, a huge, like, war movie guy. So, like, okay. Fury. Like, I watched Fury. I don't, I don't know if you know what movie that is. But I yeah, was no, I see, I see Fury. Yeah, so I was just binge watching all these like war movies with like these like Asian war war movies, these German war movies, and, and like and like they'll be in like different like languages. But me, my dad, my mom, and brother, we'd sit there and we'd just be watching all these all these war movies like we used to do when I was like younger. But really, during during quarantine, I was honestly working out like ninety percent of the day. Mm-hmm. I would go to the, like the like facility, I'd work out for like two hours, I'd come back home, take a nap for another hour, go back out, run some routes, stretch for like an hour, hang out with my friends on the field, like make dance videos, all this stuff. I was just having fun. Yeah, just relaxing and also yeah. putting work at the same time. So it was a pretty good combination. Yeah, I've, I've asked a lot of your teammates about the most ambitious meal they attempted to cook during quarantine, but your mom <laughs> moved to Gainesville. So I bet you haven't cooked that much, have you? Oh, I I, I definitely try to cook, but it's uh, nothing, nothing compares to my mom's cooking. So I, I always try to go over there and eat with her and stuff like that. I guess <laughs> she always makes some good food for me. Um, if you were forced to quarantine with one teammate for the entire time, so like three to four months of lockdown, who's the one guy that you <laughs> could have gotten through quarantine with? Uh, I say uh, Jamarcus Weston. I can get through a little Weston. <laughs> I would say Iverson. Iverson's gonna make me go crazy. <laughs> nah, but I mean, I say, I say honestly, Jamarcus Weston and Iverson Clement, both of those people, I, I could probably sit in a room with and laugh, laugh my tail off for hours. You've mentioned a few things that you enjoy doing. I'm curious if you were totally to get away from football, if you don't have to worry about football, what are you doing with your time? What do you enjoy? What 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 fulfills you outside the game? I would say definitely um, music. Um, I love to draw. Love to. I just love to like run. Like I like literally during quarantine, I was probably running like six miles like every single day or every single other day. Just so like I'd probably just get out, just run because I I could literally run for hours and just not stop. And I don't know why. Like I just find it so peaceful just to have earphones in and just be running. Um, my best thing to do is hang out with my girlfriend, but she she lives far, <laughs> so I, I, I wasn't <laughs> able to see her. But. I don't really do anything, man. Football is my like life right now, I man. That's all I think about. I go to sleep, think about football, wake up, think about football. It's just football is everything to me right now. That's that's my focus. So I'm trying to make it to the NFL so I could just take care of my family, my my mom, my future kids, all that stuff. You seem like a guy that probably has one or two hidden talents, or like something about you that most people wouldn't know. What what would you say? What would you say for that? Um, I'd say one, I could draw like crazy. I don't know, like I could literally look at anything in the room and draw it to an exact T. And I, th- I think that just runs in my family because like, I feel like a lot of my family are pretty good artists. Um, I could sing pretty, pretty well too. That, that's like a, a hidden talent. No, okay. no one knows that I'll never, know, but I could, I could sing pretty good. You sing for your teammates or no? Nah, never, never. No, okay. <laughs> never. Is this just a car or a shower singing kind of thing? Shower, shower thing, man. Shower thing. Okay. <laughs> Who, what, what, what do you like to sing? What, what music gets you going? Um, Daniel Caesar, Giveon. I like, I like more like chill, like vibes, kind of like chill music, like Travis Scott, uh, Drake's, Drake's always good. Um, Rod Wave, a bunch of those guys. I feel like I like, I like go everywhere. Like I like country music. I like all that stuff. So huh. yeah, I, I don't shy away from anything. Has anybody ever told you you're a good singer or might you be one of these people on American Idol who thinks they're really good, but then they do it in public and it turns out they're not good? No, I've been told by a few people. And like, that's why I like, like, I like used to like not really like sing that much at all. But like, like a, a, a few of my friends like that would like catch me singing in the car. Like they'll like, like they like look at me kind of like shocked. <laughs> but then like, I like, I like wouldn't do it again if they asked me to. <laughs> like, like Will Ferrell and Step Brothers. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple, couple of final things for you. Bringing it back to football, I, I would love to keep doing this all day. We do want to, we do yeah, got to wrap too, up man. and talk some football. Um, you talked really about Kyle Trask and how important he's been to really helping you develop and, and bring you along as a Gator. What makes him so good? Like, what, what are, what is everyone else in the country seeing now uh, that you've known about since you started working with him? Um, he's the most humble guy I've ever met in my entire life. He works hard, shows up on time. He's a just natural born leader. Like you could just tell when, like when he walks in the room, like he's that head guy and like 
like if you have any questions, if you need anything, like you can really go to him. And he's just like a like genuinely like great guy. I feel like like literally never had an issue with him. Never heard of anyone having an issue with him. He's always says hi to everyone. Always smiles. So he's just like a genuine guy, and I feel like people like that that put the work in, put the time in, and just smile and just live their life the right way. They will be rewarded, and you can see him now. I feel like I feel like football wise, he's he, he's so calm in the pocket. Like if you if you really watch him play, like he will really like never panic. And I think that's like a great trade to have as a quarterback because I feel like as that pocket closes a lot. Because if you watch the film a lot, like the, like there'll be times like he'll he'll like sit in that pocket for like an extra two seconds when like a lot of other quarterbacks would probably like sprint out or like throw the ball away, and then he'd sit in there and, and wait for that wideout to get open, and then he would he would he would let it go. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel like his just poise in, in that pocket is just crazy for him, and just to be able to see the whole defense is just crazy. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I would throw three, three four picks each, each game. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously, he's got a lot of hype right now, right? People are, he's, a lot of people think he's a Heisman front runner. Uh, you guys as a team are looked at as a championship contender. I mean, there's a lot going on. There's, there's a lot being ex- put on you guys at this stage of the year. How, how do you process that? How do you make sure that you're staying focused on what you need to do while also absorbing, you know, a lot of these external expectations from fans, from media, family, friends, et cetera, about what you guys could be if you keep going this way? I feel like um, our biggest thing is that um, we just really shouldn't even listen to any of the outside noise. I feel like all the noise that we should be listening to should be internal, like in the team, listening to the head coach, our coaches, and just like each other and what we need to develop. I feel like a lot of times, like when a lot of people listen to the outside noise and what people are saying outside, it kind of clouds like their mind and clouds their vision, you know, and like like stops them from focusing on like our true focus. Like Kyle Trask, he hasn't talked about the Heisman to anyone. Yeah, like he hasn't said a word about it. But every single day he comes in, he's focused. He's like, hey, like, um, we have to practice, practice great today. We have to have a great practice today. So, like, we just try to take it one day at a time and just focus on what we have to do. Like, today we came in and we executed, had a great practice today. And I feel like that was the focus. And, like, a lot of – I feel like a lot of us don't really listen to the outside noise because we're so focused on what we're doing internally in our team to try to get better. Mm. Final question for you. I know it's, it's early in the week, so I'm not sure how much you guys have, have been into this yet. But as far as Kentucky goes – what have you seen from them? What challenges are they going to present for you this weekend? Um, Kentucky is definitely a great team. Um, I'd say they have a great, great defense. You could tell they, um, I know they have pretty good corner safety. So I, I feel like they're an overall well team and they're going to definitely try to come in and they're going to definitely try to try to um, give us a great game. And I feel like we just need to focus and just continue just to work on like all of those small details because all the small details matter. Like one, like offsides could change, you know, like the whole momentum of the game. So I feel like everyone just really strives. It's like staying focused and sound. We'll be able to beat them. But we just have to just stay just really focused and just really like just focus on ourselves and what we need to do each week to win the game. Well, Justin, we're, we're glad that you're a Gator. We're glad that you spent some time with us today. Thank you so much and good luck the rest of the way. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow the action as Florida takes on Kentucky Saturday at noon on ESPN and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG College, then come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Have a happy and safe Thanksgiving, and go Gators! Gators!